Hi, neighbor. This is week one of Won't You Be a Neighbor? And I don't know how Mr. Rogers did it in this. I'm, gonna, I'm not. It's too hot. It's too hot. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> this is week one of a brand new series called Won't You Be uh, a Neighbor? And don't worry, I'm not going to bring us into that creepy train land that used to go into. Ah, the puppets? Ah, like PTSD triggers. Like I still have shakes thinking about it. We're not doing that, I promise. But today is week one of a new series called Won't You Be a Neighbor? And for those of you who are guests with us, either the first time here in person or online, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Alex. It's a great week to join us. As we talk about what does it mean for us in 2022, going into summertime, to be neighbors to the people around us. And we're using the Mr. Rogers theme and that kind of thing. It's kind of fun. Uh, and it could feel kind of light or trite, but I, I want to suggest that this is actually a very important and, and, and significant time for us to talk about this. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important command in the whole Bible? He said, number one, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But number two is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to propose to you that it has never been hard to do command number two in any of our lifetimes. Never. COVID has isolated us from the people around us, right? In some ways it needed to, but it pushed sort of this distance between us. Politically, we're as charged and divided as we've ever been in most of our lifetimes. There has never, ever been a harder time in our lifetimes for us to do commandment number two. And what we can't do is change the whole world, right? One author I just read put it very succinctly and very wisely. She said, we can't change the whole world. What we can do is create islands of sanity in an insane world. So that's what we're going to do. As Jesus followers, as Christians, here's the good news. The operating system doesn't change no matter how crazy the culture gets. The command in good seasons and in bad seasons, in charged times and in quieter times, is always love God with your whole heart, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so as a church, one of the things we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to create a counterculture for the common good. Our, our operating system does not change. We're here to love God, love our neighbor, no matter how our neighbor voted, no matter if our neighbor likes us or not as Christians, it doesn't matter. We are called to walk in the Jesus way. And the Jesus way doesn't change. In season, out of season, for 2,000 years, Christians have built communities radically committed to loving God and loving our neighbor in ways that are generous, thoughtful, serving, full of God's agape love, offering those to our neighbors as best as we possibly can. And I gotta tell you, here's a, here's a little secret. Ain't nobody else trying to do this. In case you haven't been paying attention, right? What's going to be distinctive about God's people in 2022 and maybe for the foreseeable future? What's going to be distinctive is that as Jesus followers, we love something more than our politics. We love the Lord, whose kingdom one day will come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're participating in that as best we know how. And so as, as a church for the next several weeks, we're going to be doing this thing that ain't nobody else even trying to do. We're going to work on kind of going to kind of the gym together to figure out what does it mean for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, the way that Jesus called us to. Because we believe and we've experienced that the Jesus way is good. Amen? The Jesus way is life-giving. It's wise. It puts, takes broken things and puts them back together again. Last week, we celebrated Easter, the resurrected king who's resurrecting us and putting all the pieces back together again. We are here together to walk in the Jesus way together, no matter what else is happening all around us. Though the world gives way, we're going to keep walking in the Jesus way together. Love God, 
love our neighbors as best we possibly can. And because we're sort of, because uh, the world is about as unneighborly as we've ever been, we're going to spend some time here doing some work, figuring out what does it mean for us to actually love our neighbors. And today we're going to look at what is really the gold standard parable of what it means to be a neighbor and love our neighbors as Jesus calls us to. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If not, it'll be on the screens here in just a minute. We are dropping about midway into Jesus' life and ministry at this point, and uh, the, the, the opposition is getting more and more feisty, which is what we see as we drop into Luke 10, starting in verse 25. It says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? Now, notice a couple things first. First off, this man's a religious professional. He's a teacher of the law. And the goal here is to test Jesus, to see if he passes the test. Now, you know how it is if you've got kids. Not every question is a genuine question. Some are trick questions. Side of questions, right? To kind of get you uh, to say something that you maybe wouldn't. So he asked a typical religious question. What must I do? What religious stuff do I have to do to inherit God's eternal life? Now notice there's an interesting kind of contrast in words here. The word inherit. Notice that in particular. How do you inherit something? What work do you do to inherit something is nothing. You're just a child, right? You're born into inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance. And so the, the teacher of the law has the right verb, inherit, but he's got the wrong operating system around it, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, you don't do anything to inherit. You just be a child of the one who has all the wealth, right? That's, the, that's what it means to inherit something. But this is a typical kind of religious question. So Jesus plays along. He says, well, hey, what's written in the law? How do you read it? This man is a lawyer, remember, an expert in the law. So Jesus says, I hear you trying to trick me. I hear this is a trap question. Let me throw it back at you. How do you read the law, Mr. Lawyer? Notice who's on. Now, who's on uh, kind of uh, under the microscope now? Who's actually being examined now is the lawyer, right? So here's how the lawyer responds to this fabulous question. Verse 27, the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Have you ever had a conversation that started good and went bad with a boss or spouse, person sitting next to you right now? Have you ever looked back on a conversation and said, I should have quit while I was ahead? Like, I should have stopped without going on, right? The, the religious leader, right, this expert in law, he gets like the animal cracker from Jesus. Way to go, Mr. Lawyer, you have answered correctly. Like, Jesus very seldom, like, celebrates particularly religious professionals. He says, you got it, like, way to go, you're on it. If the lawyer had stopped here, all would have gone well for him. But what he does next is so helpful. It's so great because it's so a part of the human genetics, the human heart, the human disposition. It is a gift to us that he doesn't quit while he's ahead. He needs to do something. He wants to push a little bit. And so here's what he does. Even though he gets exposed in the process, it's so good. But he wanted to justify himself. So we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Some time ago, I had a bad day at home and at work. Probably never happened to you, but it happens to me sometimes, right? I was, I, was in, I was like in the doghouse, like multiple places, multiple people. I was having, I wasn't handling things in some particular ways with some people, I, both at home and at work. I'd miss some things. I was like, I was in the doghouse with everyone at the end of the day. I felt it. And at the end of the day, I was having conversations in my head, which I always win those, by the way, in case you're wondering. But actually the conversation was, uh, well, here's the question. Do you think the conversation in my head was a thoughtful, wise, generous consideration of all the challenges 
all the people who were frustrated with me, the ways I could make amends and apologize, repair things, and then go about in a wise, careful, thoughtful fashion to make all things right and good. Is that what I was doing? No, I was not doing that at all. It was a, it was a wonderful, delightful, horrible mix of some self-condemnation, some self-frustration, and a whole lot of conversations where I was right and the other people were wrong. At the end of the day, I wanted to justify myself. I wanted to win the argument. I wanted to sort of say, here's why what I did was okay. Here's why what I did was not the wrong things. This man wants to justify himself, to prove to Jesus and this crowd that I'm checking the right boxes. I'm doing all the right things. And I want to propose to you this need to justify ourselves is one of the single greatest causes of human misery on the planet. So much of our political polarization runs this way. I'm on the right side of whatever the issue is in our culture. I'm going to gather together everyone else who's on my side as well and agrees with me. That's my tribe. They tell me how right I am, which is why I hang out with them in the first place. They can tell me how right I am. And then I sort of throw, we together throw rocks at these people that we disagree with. I'm on the right side. You're on the wrong side. And I'm, I can tell you this by the words I'm using or the words I'm not using, how I'm communicating. This happens both on the right and the left. Everyone's trying to justify themselves by what they think on political issues, or I'm trying to justify myself by how well I'm doing professionally or academically or at school. Here's how I know that I'm a good person. I'm a right person. I am a person who is in the right. I am trying to justify my existence, justify myself. This is an occupational hazard of being a human. Here's my question, my friends. How well do you listen to someone else when you're trying to justify yourself? Do you know how many billions of hours and billions of dollars are wasted on human beings trying to justify themselves? Frantically scurrying about, trying to make things right and try to prove to everybody that we're okay and that we're on the right side of things? My friends, but what, what, if, what if there is a God and what if God so loved the world, he said, I hate seeing humans wasting their lives trying to justify themselves. I'm gonna justify them for them. Wouldn't that be great? What if instead of scurrying around, trying to justify yourselves, what if God in his grace and mercy freely pours out justification so that you don't have to prove anything to anybody? Wouldn't that be wonderful? What if God wanted to free you to be fully justified so that all your mistakes, all the things you did wrong, all the voices in your head, all the insecurities, what if God wanted to say, peace, shalom, quiet those voices. I'm gonna justify you. You don't have to prove anything to anybody, which then frees you to be a fully human human being frees you to love your neighbor and serve them, not use them to prop you up to feel good about you. That's what justifying is, right, for so many of us. Let me use people around me to justify me, to feel good about me. Let me, let me, let me find the right props, the things I need to justify myself. Here's my accomplishments, here's my grades, here's my, 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 my work history, here's my resume, here's my religious resume, here's all the things I'm using to try to justify myself. And God says, peace, child. You don't need to do anything to justify yourself. I'm going to pour out justification for you so that you are then free from the checklist and free to go love and serve me and go and love and serve your neighbor exactly how I made you to live. This is the good news of Jesus. My friends, hear, hear this, my friends. No matter where you are spiritually, most of us will either waste our lives trying to justify ourselves or we'll pause and stop striving and know that God is God and receive his justification and live as justified ones. Those are two ways to live in life. As someone trying to justify yourself, good luck with that, it's exhausting. Or receiving the good grace and justification from God in Christ Jesus and then going and living like a justified one.
The man in the story wants to justify himself. In his context, what that means is he wants the checkboxes, right? Because, because justification always requires checkboxes. How do I know that I'm doing the right things? I'm doing okay. He wants to know who's my neighbor? Who, can I, who, do I, who am I obligated to and who can I ignore, right? And push away, am I not obligated to? And Jesus takes this great question and a, a, a legitimate question, but also a, the wrong question. And he turns it into perhaps the greatest parable of all time. Verse 30, here's what he says. Jesus in reply said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this road is about 17 miles. It was wild and uninhabited in Jesus' day, and so it was a good place for robbers and thieves to do horrible things like this. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by as well on the other side. Side. So the priests and the Levites are two full-time religious people, two full-time religious people. And if you touch a, a bloody body or a dead body, they don't know if it's dead or not, but if he's dead, like there's all these hoops you have to jump through to get through, uh, to be ceremonially clean again, to be able to go to the temple and do your job. So they don't want to get sullied and dirtied by this man. Now, the, the priest is on one part of the hierarchy of the kind of the, the, the ancient world and the priests in the temple world. So the priests are higher up in the hierarchy. Levites are a step down. Now, everyone in the crowd, including the expert in the law, is waiting for the third person who's going to do the right thing, right? Now, the expert in the law listening to the story is likely in a different political camp than either the priest or the Levite. And the expert in the law is hoping the next person to come by to save the day is an expert in the law because we all want to justify ourselves, right? Meanwhile, there's a whole crowd of normal Jewish people, and they're hoping the next person through is a normal Jewish person because everyone wants to justify ourselves. Everyone is seeking to sort of see someone that looks like us doing the right thing and us feeling good about that. But Jesus doesn't want to artificially prop anybody up with some sort of artificial justification. So here's what he says instead. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, at this point, the whole crowd either boos or gasps. Boo, Samaritan. Boo, this guy. Nobody wants the Samaritan to be the good guy. Nobody likes Samaritans. Nobody respects the Samaritans. A whole lot of history, but the basic gist is about a thousand years before this, there was a civil war. Northern kingdom splits off from the people of Israel. They create their own capital. They leave Jerusalem. They create their own capital called Samaria, hence the Samaritans. They, and they sort of abandon God and put together their own religion and do some other things. And so there's this ancient civil war. These people do not like each other. They don't respect each other. Nobody in Jesus's crowd is excited that the Samaritan's the one there having pity on him. So Jesus makes this guy the hero on purpose just to rankle everybody because Jesus does that sometimes. Here's how it continues. He went, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this hated Samaritan goes above and beyond, even leaves a deposit for the sick person to recover or be taken care of while he goes on his way. And then Jesus does this wonderful thing. Anytime, you should go sometime and when you're looking for a Bible study, go through and look at the questions Jesus asks. He always asks these great questions. So Jesus turns one of his gut-wrenching, heart-exposing questions here on the man. He says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law barely ekes out and mumbles, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say Samaritan, you see that? Can't even say Samaritan, can't even bring it in his heart to sort of admit that a Samaritan could do something good. Jesus told him, go 
and do likewise. Now remember, this is the question. Answer the question, who is my neighbor? And notice that Jesus draws a picture that's not about checkboxes, not about geography, not about who you work with, not about who's in proximity to you. Jesus says loving your neighbor is not about identifying who I'm obligated to serve and who I can safely ignore. Loving your neighbor is about being a neighbor, being a certain type of person, right? Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Go be this kind of person. Go be a neighbor, not look for who you can take care of and who you can ignore. The man who gets attacked is likely a Jew. The Samaritan is not a, is not, doesn't live next door to him, doesn't work with him, doesn't worship next to him. They're not from the same people group, same tribe, same ethnic group. Jesus is not talking about geography or proximity or checklists. Checklists are what people who want to justify themselves love and are addicted to, particularly in religious circles. Jesus says, I'm not giving you a checklist. I'm telling you to go be a certain type of person, to walk in my way, to be a person who looks out for who is God bringing across my path and what does it mean for me to love that person as myself. My friends, do you want to fulfill the second greatest command? Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't narrow down who your neighbor is you have to serve. You go love people. You go serve people. Go be a neighbor in the Jesus way, a certain type of person looking for the people around you whom God has placed in your path and being an awake to them and saying, I'm gonna bring whatever resources God gives my way, physical resources, emotional resources, spiritual resources, to tend to these people, this person around me, whether they're in crisis or need or just someone that God wants me to love on. We had a great conversation about this in my small group this past week, uh, and we hit on a couple, for, a couple of different challenges. First off, my small group is a great group of people, about 16 of us in total if everyone showed up, but hardly anyone ever shows up all the time, right? We almost never have all 16 of us. In fact, we still meet over Zoom because it's just more convenient and easier for, for us to be able to sort of make the small group and be a part of things on Tuesday nights. But even with just a Zoom call, we had a number of people throughout the day saying, I got to drop out. One family was like, kids, schedule. Our, our schedule, we can't make it tonight, so we're out. Another person, they were out of town. They were both out. Another person had family in town. They were like there with their family. They're out. And then another person had just had a light medical procedure. They were out. Another person was driving back. He just lost his father in Florida. Nick, praying for you. They were out. Another person said they hoped to join late, but they never made it. So they were out. So there's six of us out of the 16 on the Zoom call, right? And the six of us, of the six of us who were on the Zoom call, four of us had literally just come in the door, slapped dinner together for whoever, whatever kid happened to be around, whatever combination of children had to be around, and for ourselves, jumped on a Zoom call while like swallowing dinner, finishing things up. Another person hoped, another person joined late after dropping off a kid at something. And so here we are, j- jumping in, talking, looking at this passage, talking about what does it mean to love like a neighbor, like the way that Jesus says. And we all looked at each other and said, ain't nobody got time for this. We're barely talking to our spouses. Who's got time to be a neighbor like this, right? All of us are in the midst of crazy busy. Who has the time to sort of do this? And we had just about talked ourselves into ignoring the whole command altogether, which was nice. We get a pass on this for a few years. It's just too busy. And then we look back at the passage again and said, you know what? The second command is always love your neighbor as yourself. No excuses. No period of life where that doesn't apply to you. 
And so we started talking about what does it mean for us to actually love our neighbors as ourselves in the season of crazy busy kid land. And it might look more like loving our neighbors, picking up our neighbor's kid and taking them to the soccer practice with us. It might look like volunteering to coach or offering to run the scoreboard or throwing the party at the end of the season for the kids. Loving our neighbors is going to look different in crazy busy season than it does in the rest of our lives. But it's still a requirement, still something that we're called to do, called to be. Being a neighbor is not something that we take in, is in a season and out of season. It just looks differently in different seasons. It requires a couple things. One, eyes to see our neighbor. Openness to the spirit prompting us to move toward the neighbor and a willingness to be a neighbor, right? Eyes to see who's around us, not just my, 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 my blinders, my schedule, my, my kid's schedule, our busyness. I, I, eyes to see, look up. Uh, openness to the spirit. Is the spirit prompting me to move towards someone, come alongside something, to step into a, a spot to, to care for someone or to be a part of a larger community that's just in need for someone to come and be a part of it? And then there's a willingness to bring all the resources that God gives us in Christ, all the physical, emotional, spiritual resources to bear in that place. And listen, not every one of us is in crazy, busy kid season. Blessing on you. Some of you have reached the promised land of empty nesting. Hallelujah. You've crossed over. You give me hope for the future. But loving our neighbor always requires these same things. Eyes to see who your neighbor is, who's around you, who is God bringing across your path, and openness to the spirit prompting you saying, hey, this is not just another face in the crowd. This is someone I want you to move toward in a particular way. They might be in crisis. They might not be in crisis. It might just be a person that God just wants you to love on and then a willingness to bring whatever resources God has given you, physical, emotional, spiritual resources to come alongside other people. These become habits of the heart whether you've got kids at home or don't have kids at home. These are practices that you can implement. My friends, for those of us who are in the crazy busy kid season, if you give yourself a pass on doing these things for 10 years, maybe 20 years till your kids get out, do you think you're suddenly gonna pick it up when they all leave? Not likely. And for those of us who haven't habituated these practices, for those of us who aren't practiced and being eyes wide open to who's around me, uh, an openness to the Holy Spirit prompting us to move toward people and then the willingness to bring whatever resources we got to bear to those, those people, those relationships, you know where you start is right now, today. That's why we're here. That's why we're having this conversation. We're in the gym, working out, like building some muscles that maybe have atrophied for all of us, myself included. What does it mean for me to be a neighbor? What does it mean for me to be a neighbor? It's like, well, I'm just praying, God, open my eyes. Make me aware. Where's the spirit happening? How, do I, how might I bring your resources to bear? This is, a, this is your prayer step one for being a neighbor again. God, give me eyes to see and openness to what the spirit's doing around me and who God might be, who you might be bringing in my path. And then a willingness to be a neighbor, an instrument of the Holy Spirit, grace, truth, love. Now, the second thing we talked about in our small group after we recovered from that, that we don't have an excuse on this, which was good, was technology. One woman said in our small group, I used to stop when someone was broken down on the side of the road, but now everyone's got cell phones, right? So I just assume that they're all taken care of. Here's what technology has done for us when it comes to this command of loving our neighbor. What technology does, technology both isolates us and overwhelms us, both of which war against us loving our neighbor. Technology has both isolated us and it overwhelms us, both of which war against us doing this work that Jesus calls us to do. Technology sort of cuts us off from people in, a, in, in thick ways. It creates thin relationships. Technology creates thin relationships, right? Social media, for some of us have hundreds or thousands of very thin relationships that frankly, you can't do much to help, right? So I'm on, I'm on social media newsfeed. I've got like 2,000 Facebook friends. On any given day, there's at least 50 of them are in crisis and posting about it. What can I do about that? Well, 
I can't do, I, I can't do much for most of them because they're like far away. There's a lot there, right? A lot going on. So what technology does is it thins out our connections. It stretches us thinner. It distracts us from our neighbor right beside us. Meanwhile, many of us have hundreds of very thin connections. Some of you have zero thick connections in your neighborhood, in your workplace, or even here at church. No thick connections, only thin relationships. And then, of course, it does overwhelm us with the needs, right? In Jesus' day, there could be a major battle 100 miles away. You wouldn't know about it for a couple days. In our day, you know about it in seconds. You, you were not equipped. God did not give you a brain big enough to process all the pain in the world. And yet we are exposed to more pain than any human beings ever in history. So what do you do? You shut down. This is too much, right? Can't handle it all. Like every month, there's like four to 12 awareness months. You see this? Like every month. So let's say, it's four, let's say you're supposed to be aware of four things every month. That's 48 things you're supposed to be aware of over the course of the year. How aware can you possibly be? How, here's the, here's the bigger question. What can you possibly do about 48 different things in the world? You can't, so you shut down. Technology isolates us and overwhelms us. So here's the Jesus way. What Jesus, the Jesus way does, what Jesus way sort of does is he offers us a, a connected life and world and a more boundaried life and world. Notice in the story that the Good Samaritan, he's attentive, he's connected to what's happening right in front of him. He's not on his cell phone as he makes a trip to Jericho. He's very awake, very aware. What's around me? He is being a neighbor to the man in need in crisis who's right in front of him. He's, he's connected to the time he's in and is not without boundaries, right? He's, still, he's on a trip. He's got business to attend to. Notice in the story, at some point, he pays the innkeeper, take the money. I got a job to do. I was on a trip. I paused my trip for a, for a, for, for a few minutes to take care of this guy, but now I got to go. My friends, for those of you who feel overwhelmed with the needs of the world, particularly those of you who earnestly like volunteer and want to do everything you can to make the world a better place, and then you got exhausted and burnt out, hear the good news. Even the Good Samaritan had boundaries. Say no. Got to keep moving. Got things to do. There's a limit to how much I can serve. And even better news, even Jesus had boundaries. He didn't heal every sick person. He didn't feed every hungry person. He didn't go to every town, didn't go to every village. It is okay to say, that is all I can do. That is enough. That is what I have to offer. These are the resources I have. My friends, we do not have to carry all the problems of all our neighbors all the time. We can be awake to the people around us. We can ask the Spirit, who have you put in my way, in my place, coming across my path to love and serve the way that you could, the way that you would. They might be in crisis. They might not be in crisis. Again, we're not fishing for crisis. This is, the whole story is not about go fish for crisis. The whole story is about be a neighbor. Love the people that God puts in your path. They could be right beside you. They could be a random person you come across on the side of the road, but be awake to who God's put in your path. Be connected, be present to where you are. Serve as you can. Feel free to say no where you hit your limits. And there's a balance here, right? There's a balance between not sort of turning a blind eye to all the problems in the world, right? I'm not saying that. We don't disengage from the problems of the world. But we can be so tuned in to problems all over the globe. We're in Washington, D.C. and be totally blind to the problems of the people right beside you, right? You can be so aware of all the problems happening somewhere else. You have no power to control or influence. And be completely blind to what's right in front of you, the people and the situations right in front of you. Loving your neighbor as yourself, being about being connected to the present moment, to the spirit, to the people God puts in your path, people that have been around for a while or brand new people like the Good Samaritan who cross your path, who are in need, being connected 
and then having healthy boundaries in and around those relationships. And sometimes it could be a total stranger. It might be actually someone right next to you, someone at work, someone in your club, someone in your organization. It could be someone on the other side of the globe. And God keeps tapping you on the shoulder saying, I want you to care for the situation. I want you to move to Tibet. I want you to manage. I want you to jump in. I want you to minister in some way my name. And if God keeps doing that to you, yes and amen. We want you to follow that. We're going to bless you as a church. We'll give you some money if we can to help make that happen. We're all about people going all over the globe to make a difference all over the globe. But for most of us, most of the time, being a neighbor, loving your neighbor means being just wide awake to what's right in front of you. Who's right in front of you? Asking for eyes to see. The spirit to give you wisdom, kind of to tap you on the shoulder, say, hey, that's a person I want you to go love on. Serve, come alongside. And then also the willingness to bring the resources of God, the grace and mercy, the physical resources, emotional resources, spiritual resources to bear in that relationship, my friends. And for the vast majority of us, technology is a hindrance to loving our neighbor the way Jesus calls us to, not an aid to loving our neighbor the way that Jesus calls us to. So as we close here week one, won't you be a neighbor? A a, a prayer and then a couple action steps I wanna invite you into this week. Uh, The first is the prayer that I invite us into the beginning, right? Prayer for eyes to see the neighbor, openness to the spirit, prompting us to step into situations in people's lives and a willingness to be a neighbor the way that Jesus describes being a neighbor. We're praying that we might build a Jesus way counterculture for the common good. We're praying that as a church, we might build a counterculture that serves our community in ways that are gracious and generous and loving. Eyes to see, God, who's around me? Connected, rooted, who's around me? Openness to the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to go move into that person's life and a willingness to be the neighbor the way that God invites us to, to bring, to be an instrument of the grace and the beauty and the mercy of God. I wanna give you two action steps. Action step number one, here's action step number one. I want you to turn off all notifications on your cell phone this week. Turn them off. A couple years ago, I realized I had like three or four news outlets, I'm not telling you which ones, that were buzzing at me every time a new headline came along. You know what? I didn't need them to tell me every time a new headline came on. I could go find that out for myself when I was ready for it. I want you to turn off all notifications on your phone for one week. Or if that's not your thing, I want you to turn down the volume on something else. A friend of mine, she was telling me that she realized she was stressed and anxious all the time, and then she realized she had talk radio on, news radio on in the background all day long as she worked. She said, I turned that off. No wonder I'm so stressed. That like lightened me tr- t- tremendously. Some of you have TV news on the background all the time. Turn it off and then turn it on when you're ready to engage with the problems of the world. I want to invite you to reduce tech noise because tech isolates us and overwhelms us. I want you to reduce the noise and the static and the clutter so you can be connected to what's present here and now to learn, to love, and be a neighbor. What's right in front of you? I want you to turn off all notifications on your phone for one week or just reduce the volume on all the clutter, all the noise, so you can be more present to what's right in front of you, more connected, more, more prepared for the Spirit to say, hey, I want you to go love that person right over there. Second action step I want to invite you to do is to take one tangible step to be a neighbor to someone. Take one tangible step to be a neighbor to someone. Remember, that's, what, that's Jesus' answer about who it is to be, what it is to be a neighbor. The Good Samaritan story is all about sort of uh, a, a cross-cultural experience, a, a, a major sort of significant break. Someone's in pain and distress. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus tells it intentionally. He, he tells a story about sort of intentionally moving cross-culturally, and that's an important part of what it means to be Jesus followers, that no boundary, no boundary keeps us from serving and loving the people around us because Jesus is Lord over all people, so we step in across all boundaries, across all differences, to serve and love people. Can you 
pray for the willingness to be a neighbor to somebody this week. Again, for many of us, these muscles have atrophied. We are as isolated as we've ever been in most of our lifetimes, more cut off, more distance from our neighbors. So we're, we're, we're reawakening muscles here, right? We're reawakening muscles to relearn. So instead of, just, uh, instead of just driving by a neighbor and maybe waving at them, can you stop, roll it on the window? How are things? How are you? It's taking a, a minute, a step to move toward that person. Can you invite someone over for dinner or for coffee? Some of you are still COVID wary. I totally get that. Have it outside. Find a way to connect. Can you be a neighbor? Move towards someone. And again, you're not just fishing for crisis, although obviously if crisis is there, you want to be awake to serving people. You're just looking for Holy Spirit or someone you want me to be a neighbor to, or someone that I can serve, that I can just build a relationship with, that I can be a neighbor to. Or maybe the Lord is pinging you about something online all over the globe. And there's something that like God just put on your heart and you're like, you know what? I need to take an action step. God's calling me to go be a neighbor somewhere else, like far, far away. Blessings on you. I want to invite you to take that step to go be a neighbor. But my friends, being a neighbor is about character, not about even, it's more about character than it's about action, although character plays out in action, right? Becoming the kind of person that Jesus calls us to be, which is paired with generous serving of our neighbor, whoever they might be, however they voted, whatever it means, we just come alongside them, faith, hope, and love. You don't like them on social media, but they're right there next to your house. You're gonna serve, you're gonna serve them and love them anyway because that's what Jesus calls us to do. My friends, right now between COVID and politics, we're about as unneighborly as we've ever been. And so together as a church, we're gonna be devoted to walking in the Jesus way. The commands of the scriptures do not change no matter who your neighbor happens to be, no matter how you happen to feel about them. The command from the scripture And the the path to life-giving spiritual journey, the path to becoming a fully developed man or woman of God in and after God's own heart, an image bearer to express that is still love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. May you and I step into that as we reawaken and step into the challenge of what it means to love our neighbor right here this week. My friends, won't you be a neighbor? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for being uh, the one who shows us what this looks like. Thank you for this great story, this, this pitch-perfect parable that invites all of us into a different way of life and that is challenging for all of us. And Lord, I, I pray for all of us, myself included, for whom this season of isolation and being cut off between COVID and the political sea, Lord, it's it, it, there's the cultural currents war against us simply generously loving our neighbor. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us more of the Holy Spirit. Come, good Father, as Jesus invited us to, we ask, good Father, for more of the Holy Spirit, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, that we might actually do what you called us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, would that be life-giving to us? Would that be life-flowing through us? Would we have stories over the next couple of weeks of what it looked like for us to be a neighbor to the people around us, the people that you put in our path? Would we have eyes to see the people around us, an openness to the spirit prompting us, and a willingness to be the people you called us to be, to bring all the resources, spiritual, emotional, physical, that you've offered to us to bless and love and serve our neighbors. We ask in Jesus' strong and mighty name, amen, amen, and amen.